0: This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it, feel it, feel it. Feel on it. this it. edition of the COVID report, we discuss the school readiness as primary schools are, or I should say, were, depending on the outcome of tonight's address from President Cyril Ramaphosa, set to return to school on a daily basis as of the 26th of July 2021. And this was according to Basic Education Minister Angie Mutserha, uh, with the regulations that were pertaining to primary school pupils those in grades R to 7 needing to return to the daily attendance and traditional timetabling model from the 26th of July 2021 provided that the risk adjusted differentiated strategy was implemented. Joining us to help unpack this and to help further dive into how the education system in this country has continued to cope with the wave after wave of disruptions due to this COVID-19 pandemic. We are joined by the Spokesperson of the National Professional Teachers Organization of South Africa, NAPTOSA for short, Mr. Basil Manuel. Basil, good evening and welcome to the COVID Report. Good evening. It's a pleasure to be with you. Absolute pleasure to have you on the line, Mr. Manuel. Now, let's talk about the ruling by the Basic Education Minister, Angie Mutsecha, to institute children returning to schools on a full time basis from the 26th of July, 2021. In your opinion, and based on your insight, was this ill advised, considering we still have an address from the president uh, to come later this evening? And also, I'd like to get your sense of the timing of these moves that were made by the basic education minister.
1: Okay, first of all, let me say it's a bit harsh to say the ruling by, because, uh, number one, we as Naprova, together with the teacher Union, were consulted. And remember that it's part of the law that we have to be consulted. And when we were consulted in the matter, we, of course, raised a number of concerns including our overcrowded schools, the supply of PPE and the like. And there were many, many concerns that we raised. However, all of us, including Naptoza, gave the move uh, qualified support, contingent on the fact that certain things must be done. But now let's let's just think about context for a minute. This was done in the absence of knowing uh, where the third wave would go. We we just vaguely thought that there would be a third wave. People spoke in vague terms. There was nothing on the horizon. Now, of course, things have changed quite dramatically. We're sitting with third horizon, uh, the, the third wave here yeah, already, in um, four of the five provinces, and five of them uh, nearing that, I suppose, within the next two weeks. So, was it a good decision? It's on certain levels. On others you can criticize it and rightly so. Uh, the positives and why we supported it is we've seen the gains made since 1994 slowly slip away because of the, the lack of uh, contact between teachers and learners. Uh, we've seen our grade 2s and our grade 3s being unable to read. Not even basic reading because they just haven't spent enough time at school. To have a child in grade two without basic reading is a crisis. And, of course, if uh, these these children are left without intervention, they're going to battle throughout their schooling careers. So, yes, there are things to criticize, but you have to look at the context. In the context, it was the right decision. But Naftosa was very clear to the ministry and the minister to say it's qualified support. We will look at the signs of the times, and when we get closer to it, if things have changed, we certainly will call you out on it, because it's not a blank
0: check. It's not a blank check indeed. Now, as it pertains to the matter of the state of the vaccine rollout in this country, I am aware that there was an allocated number of vaccines that was uh, allocated to the teachers that were gearing up to return to the schools to um, facilitate this process of full-time schooling. With uh, with reports that have, re- that have surfaced of 2 million J&J vaccines being contaminated, do you think we have the capability Abilities to fully vaccinate the teachers before they return back to school full-time?
1: Once again, let me start by first saying it wasn't a prerequisite that teachers must be vaccinated. It was, however, a desire because we do know that uh, there are people ahead in the queue. But the teacher union collective and the other teacher unions, we've been fighting this for a long time. And hey, look what happened today. Today, 300,000 vaccines were delivered in South Africa that are not part of the contaminated batch. Now we expected 500, only 300,000 have come, and they are dedicated to uh, not only teachers, but education workers uh, of the country. Now, that is inadequate, because uh, we've got 420,000 teachers. We have uh, non-state-paid teachers of about 120,000. Sorry, not not teachers, but teachers and teacher workers. And then, of course, we have uh, state-paid education workers numbering another 100,000. So you can see that they are obviously inadequate. But it's the first batch, and we hope that that will go a long way to, to vaccinate teachers. That arrived today, they will be tested tomorrow, and then they'll be rolled out from Friday, which is a major, major uh, victory for ourselves and a major move forward for education, both for parents and for teachers, because parents are equally concerned. They want to know that their loved ones are going to a school that is safe. So, yes, we've gone through many hurdles, and, of course, the J&J vaccine drama uh, impacted on us a lot, but we are very happy to to report that things are now moving. Provinces are getting ready for the mass rollout, and we will see how many we can cover with the three hundred thousand. Remember that there are the uh, under forties which won't be vaccinated, the over sixties that have another channel, and then unfortunately we have the uh, refusers who are skeptical, and we are out there trying to promote amongst those that you're better off with than without the vaccine.
0: Now, Mr. Manuel, I'd like to get your insight on the matter I'm about to pose to you. The the matter of full-time school means that the full school force teachers and pupils included will be in the schools will be in the school uh, space now full classes means more contact which to to any to any person with uh, great analysis skills means that the the maintenance of social distancing will be a lot more tricky with a full class of pupils and this coupled with uh, reports of the number of overcrowded schools in the province increasing between two thousand 19 and 2020. Can you talk me through the ways in which you see social distancing being enforced and being maintained in the advent of a full return to a normal school schedule? I think we need to start with uh, who's coming back. It's the primary schools. The primary school children are
1: less infectious and they are less easily infected by COVID-19. We know that we have had one or two, but by comparison to the secondary schools, very, very few. That's the first thing. So the chances that uh, they pose a major risk is much slimmer. So that is how we've rationalized the whole idea. But of course, as our scientists tell us, and these been adamant, we will listen to the science. We will not fuck. and uh, people that Whenever we just call for the closure of schools, we continually say to them, listen to the science. The science is saying to us, however, we must uh, practice all those non-pharmaceutical interventions, be it hand-washing, be it hand-sanitizing, the wearing of masks, and, of course, primarily social distancing. And that will pose a challenge. You're absolutely right, particularly in those heavily uh, uh, overcrowded schools. And that is why we've put it to the minister that those schools need special attention. And remember, we must use COVID-19 to improve the lot of those schools. Shamelessly, like we used uh, COVID-19 to get schools water, we must get those schools additional classrooms. Even if they are mobile classrooms, you please have, We must get them there. That will lessen the pressure on both teachers and the learners. That's the one thing. Secondly, The the distance now that is promoted by the WHO is one meter, at least one meter uh, social distancing in the primary schools. And that is achievable in many schools except the chronically uh, uh, overcrowded schools, which uh, I've already spoken about. So can we manage it? a great measure, yes. But remember, there's a differentiated approach. And the differentiated approach does mean that there are schools that will not be able to do this. How do we address this? Because just imagine your child is in one of those schools. Would you want your child to be attending once every second day, whilst your neighbor's child is at school every day? There is going to be a problem then. It will present a major problem. So, What we are looking at is the solution. The solutions lie in the pre-fabs. The solutions also lie in changing the model, as opposed to alternate days, maybe platooning, where every child does come to school every day, but of course at staggered times. But the impact on teachers is very great. And that is why we're saying it will cost, even in the employ of additional teachers. But I want to assure you that these are issues being discussed. We haven't seemingly abandoned them by just saying there has been this decision to return all the primary school learners, and that is at full stop. No, no, no. The discussions continue. All of us are involved in the discussions. I can't say to you that we are always happy, but I can say to you our voice is being made louder and louder. Thank you.
0: Thank you for that, Mr. Manuel. Now, the next matter I'd like to touch on with you is uh, latching on to uh, something you mentioned in one of your previous answers over the course of the conversation we've had thus far, pertaining to the teachers and the various number of teachers in and amongst the total number of them who, for whatever reason, whether it be down to skepticism or whether it be just down to not (coughs) having the desire to take the vaccine, decide not to take the vaccine. Will this... um, pose a threat of any kind to the safety of pupils who um, go to school? And what is the policy in place to address the teachers who have not been vaccinated? Will they be allowed to return to the school space? Is their return to the school space Conditional um in terms of them needing to possibly vaccinate before um being deemed safe to return to the school space, can you talk me through those policies and any conversations you got you've had to that end?
1: That's a very good question, and let me say it's also something that industry generally is grappling with. Can you demand? that all employees must be vaccinated? Can you demand that anybody who comes into your shop must be vaccinated before they can can have service? And this is the debate various legal entities are debating. But insofar as South Africa's constitution is concerned, you have a right of refusal. And um, these people who are refusing are expressing their constitutional right. Now, of course, there are certain obligations which come with every right, and we have cautioned our members in particular to say, if you have a comorbidity and you refuse to take the vaccine, can you logically, rightfully demand that you should go on a comorbidity concession leave when you have refused to take the vaccine? We believe legally not. And we've cautioned that, of course, the Department of Education will be looking at this. And no, we haven't had the, the definitive conversation to say, what are you going to allow and what are you not going to allow? We are all basing our arguments outside of that definitive conversation on our own interpretations of the Constitution. And the our interpretation, as it stands at the moment, and we've sought legal advice in the matter, is that... People are allowed to refuse. However, you also expose yourself on another level. If you have 99% of the people at your school, uh, workers, that is, patient workers vaccinated, and you bring COVID-19 into the school space and infect a child, liability then becomes very easy to apportion. You see, when the whole lot of you are not vaccinated, who, who do you blame? Because it could be anybody. But now if everybody else has a certain level of of protection and you don't, you then expose. It's a minefield. And I will tell you, we will make new law. As we go along, case law will be developed because we are going to go through this in every workspace. Even at which radio, we will be going through that because somebody is going to do something that ends up in a court. And the the courts are going to rule on it, making new case law. We are terrified in a certain measure about that. We are also excited about that in another measure. But we're going to have to cross that bridge when we get
0: through it. Indeed. Now, I'd like to talk about the ways in which this pandemic has continued to impact the operations of the school system as it is. We've had instances, as we covered earlier in our discussion, where we're talking about the move to full-time schooling as a departure from the system that we adopted where half of the, schools, uh, the school force attends school on one day, the other half attends on another day, and how all of that has contributed to even, to even more and increased difficulty for children to um, get to grips with their schoolwork, for children to complete uh, the various um, items of their uh, school curricula. I'd like to uh, point your attention to a study that was done by Schaefer, uh, a recent National Income Dynamic Study uh, for the Coronavirus Rapid Mobile Survey that reported significant learning losses and uh, the consequences of such losses are still to be felt for many years to come. In your opinion, what do you think this pandemic, or or, or what is the extent of of damage this pandemic will do to the learner's ability to get enough time to catch up with the work that they missed out on thus far over the course of the year and a half almost that this pandemic has been part of our lives.
1: Let me say I'm familiar with the research. And um, I want to agree with, in a large measure with the uh, overall findings of great losses, even in schools that have had online learning. Because, you know, it's not all peaches and cream. Sometimes when you're sitting on the other side of the fence, you think it is. But many of these teachers who are members of ours are reporting that they sometimes teaching to empty rooms. Children being the creative creatures that they are, switch on the computer and then go to the mall. And, and and this is what has been happening. But with the losses in learning, this is what informs decisions such as the primary school learners needing to go back. Because what we have recognized, and we didn't need research to recognize it, but it's good to have it, that uh, these learners, have at first, on the first level, lost out on the basics. On another level, we have curtailed the curriculum. Now, the curriculum is there to teach many things, not only for examination, but it is also there to shape another world uh, or life reality. And we've had to cut out those very things that are needed for the whole development of every learner. Now, those things you can't catch up on. Those things will never be caught up on. And of course, to get back to where we were, we would take three, four, five years. And one of the greatest fears is how much we've lost of the gains that we've made from, let's call it, 1994. There's been significant gains. When you just think of the number of learners that are attending school today, as opposed to the past, that's just one, and that is not even academic. When you think about uh, the amount of work covered, uh, things that learners do that they never did before, then you suddenly realize we have a lot of gains. When you think about the number of girl children going to school today, South Africa almost has universal coverage of junior primary education, which is unusual in the world. And now suddenly we are losing that. We don't know how many children will come back to school when one school returns to normal. We don't know. How many children will finish school because some of them have become accustomed to not attending school. And this is what that research highlights, and this is what our inherent fears are. So we've got to do something dramatic. And uh, sometimes decisions like the one we started talking about, where the minister, together with, with, with uh, her advisors, has made a decision that the learners must return to school, we can criticize it. However, When you look at the underlying good reasons, you have to agree that research as well as common sense is saying to us, we can't afford to let our learners miss out on more. And the longer we have these various models of attendance, the more our learners are losing out. Take the metrics to just end off this part. Your matriculants of 2021 are at a far greater disadvantage than the matriculants of 2020. Why? Because these have lost out on grade 11, which those matriculants didn't lose out on. And the building blocks from grade 11 that are needed in grade 12, they may not have. And as a result, when we decided uh, through the minister to cancel the June exams. Some people were saying, but why? The reality is some teachers still had to go back to first build on grade 11 mm-hmm. before they could continue with grade 12 work. And that is what has created additional deficits. So the deficits will, will be there for a long time. But I hope that the realization is there that schooling will be around long after COVID. And these children of the COVID era will need to have had the good grounding. So before people criticize, they've got to look at beyond COVID-19 and what we have to build for beyond COVID-19.
0: In the interest of the return to a full school schedule of uh, the various grades that you mentioned will be permitted to return to uh, full-time schooling, and in the interest of maintaining the non-pharmaceutical regulations in terms of hand-washing, hand-sanitizing, in the interest of that, there are many issues and concerns around water and sanitation, particularly to the schools that have a shortage of these needs already. Can you talk me through the ways in which you as uh, NAPTOS, as an organization, are going about addressing these issues, especially the ways in which the COVID-19 pandemic um, in many ways laid bare the extent of the damage that has been done and the work that needs to be done to fix these issues. Absolutely. That is one of the great success stories. Whilst this is not 100%, You would remember at the
1: beginning of COVID-19, one of the things laid bare was the fact that 7,000 schools didn't have running water. And that became one of the the, the major battlegrounds between the unions, uh, including Naptosa, and the department. And one of the reasons why we at first refused to reopen schools, because there were many, many schools that didn't have water, we shamelessly used COVID to uh, advance the argument for water. And we pushed that envelope until we got to the point where there were 30 schools that were without running water. The others may have had a variety of forms of water provision, including tankers and so on, that are not a, a permanent solution, but they had water. And that was a major, major victory. But what it had also made bare was how poor the administration has been. Do you know that in more than 1,500 cases, we discovered that the problem was a burst pipe? further down the road from the school that had just been shut off, and that was 10 years ago. We discovered how water pumps had just not been serviced. We discovered how municipal bills hadn't been paid, and the municipality just shut off schools illegally. But they did it. And it showed that with a little bit of administration, these things could have been prevented. So water is a major crisis. And we continue to monitor it because we know that it is very easy when everybody's looking to supply. And this is our fear with the tankers. Can that be sustained? Think of the cost of fuel. Think of the daily exercise. And now with all the learners coming back, those tanks have to be filled by the tankers twice, thrice a day. Is that sustainable? And we have now moved away from uh, just saying, yes, we want the water, to saying, let's build bad better. We've had bad. When we build it now, it must be better. Whether it's an ablution facility, you don't go and put a port a You build it. And you don't put a waterborne sewage when you can't have it, you put a French train or you do something, but it must be better than what it was. And it must be permanently better. And even with the water supply. So our focus has shifted to building bad better is is our clarion cry now. Not simply just to say, oh, we've done it. And as soon as we look away, then the school falls back on the bad old ways because they're not getting the water from the department or from the municipality
0: amazing stuff and to conclude our discussion Mr. Manuel the COVID-19 pandemic I'm sure you'll agree has uh, been a part of our lives for a year and a half and over the course of its stay in our lives it has taught us many things about ourselves we just noted um, everything that the pandemic laid bare that um, was shown to be in need of urgent addressing in multiple um, aspects of life not just the schooling system but as it pertains uh, to the schooling system considering that we are discussing the ways in which the pandemic has continued to disrupt the operations of the uh, of the education system and how that poses an even greater threat with the plans that have been put in place for pupils to return to the classroom full time i'd like to get your insight on the ways in which we can we both at a societal ven- um a societal level and i suppose in a in an industrial level, as it pertains to the schooling industry and the teaching industry, what is the most effective way to prevent a learning crisis from becoming a generational catastrophe? You are being extremely unfair. However... However, let me say,
1: I I, I need to first, before I end, I need to congratulate you on the quality of the questions and the quality of the things posed. It's amazing. I've been interviewed hundreds of times and this is one of the best interviews I've ever had. Let me say that to you. Thank you you for the kind words. In case I don't get a chance. But let me say, uh, this, this is the eternal challenge. We know that we've battled to change the generational gains around in the country. And we haven't been always successful. And however, when you look back and you look at the number of students that today are accessing tertiary education or have the ability to access tertiary education, it then says to you that much has changed and a generational opportunity has changed. But that can easily be, be turned back. That clock could easily be, be wound back unless we are not cautious with the things we are doing. When teacher unions unpopularly say, like Naptosa to its members, no, you are calling for a summary closure school, then our teachers are. Some of them are. That's not the right thing to do. The right thing to do is to try and protect education. I resisted the minister's view last year of saving the academic year. And I kept saying to her, I want to save learning. Forget the academic year. It's a construct which we have put together. But learning is a much more superior construct. And where we take away a time frame and we say learning must happen continuous and continually. And it is with that in mind that I say to you that when unpopular decisions are taken for the greater good, like bring back our primary school children, it is to ensure that generational gains are retained, that they do not fall back. We don't want to go back to an era where 30% of children only pass in the trick. We don't want to go back to an era which says that the vast majority of children reach high school that still can't read and write properly. We know that's not one completely, but from where we've come, We've come so far, and that is the challenge. But it's not a challenge to teaching. It's not a challenge to only the, the industry uh, or, or, or to the department, but it's a challenge to parents as well, because parents have to see that their children don't lose out by insisting that education continue. Whether it be reading a book or ensuring that a child is back at school. Our biggest challenge is yet to come. It's not opening schools that's a challenge. That is a physical happening that will take place. Some parents are too happy to see that their children are being looked after, so they will see that their children are there. But it's that youngster who has potential, but who is a miscreant in himself, whose parents need to ensure that he gets there. He's the one who will look back after he's achieved great things and say, if it wasn't for the intervention of those one or two people, I would never be here. We mustn't forget, the the children who get into crime and perform these amazing criminal acts are doing it because they were the brightest kids, if only we kept them in school.
0: I hope that makes sense. Mr. Manro, thank you so much for the absolutely thrilling and insightful conversation we've just had here on The COVID Report. Thank you so much for um, your time and for joining us as a guest and for the very kind words towards uh, me and the lovely people in The COVID Report production team who compiled the list of questions I directed your way. So thank you again for your kind words and thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you very much. And let me say the awards must definitely come your way. It was an excellent uh, evening. Well spent. Thank you and be safe.
0: We've heard from Mr. Manuel. Let's hear from the teachers themselves. This is what a few of them had to say. I don't think it's a good idea because at least protection should be the first match. And uh, it's been long. We are hearing from the government that they, they aspire to have each and everyone having been, been vaccinated even up by now. It looks like it's just a lip service. They're just talking... Because if they were serious, everyone by now should have been vaccinated. In fact, the first round—if they are using that vaccination for second, for first round and second round—there
2: is no certainty that this inoculation is going to be available. We hear things about being vaccines being contaminated, vaccines being not enough, still vaccinating some other batch. In in this way, we we suggest that, in my opinion. Let us continue working like this. Learners on shifts. As teachers are not going with shift and then they are dying out there. And even the role of people dying has been multiplying long. And some other countries are still on lockdown. What's the rush? Because we see this thing is out of control. You need the government to see this on other angle in a way that... We know that it's impossible for learners to perform in this situation. They are behind. We understand that. But life is on risk in this situation. Learners we might die and we might die in multiple. Because as even said, wave is here. What are we rushing to? Well, you
0: heard it yourself. The teachers, uh, especially the teachers that uh, formed part of the audio package we just played you, aren't nearly as ready and aren't nearly as confident as a lot of other people might be about the readiness for uh, this country's school system to welcome the full-time return of pupils at this time, particularly in the face of the third wave of this COVID-19 pandemic. I must stress, even though I don't have any kind of divine right to speak on this issue because I am not uh I'm not adequately informed on it as far as the process of becoming a teacher, the process of dealing with uh, pupils in a teacher-pupil setting, in a school setting. I would never speak as if I have authority on that particular subject matter. But I do think that the prioritization of safety must be paramount in all considerations being made to welcome pupils into the classroom. And I guess the more we rush, the less safe pupils and teachers could be. Now, if you've missed this or any of the other conversations we've had over the course of the history of the COVID report, I urge you to visit our website www.vowfm.co.za You can also visit Apple Podcasts to find everything you will need from the COVID report in podcast format. Now, until the next time you hear from me, please continue to stay safe. Please continue to wash and sanitize your hands. Please continue to wear your masks. You are still legally obliged to do so please continue to practice safe social distancing and most importantly please continue to support the covid report make sure you take care of yourselves and each other goodbye and good night this podcast was brought to you by voice of Vids. By, by voice of Vitz. to hear more of our shows tune in to 88.1 88.1 or streams Stream. by www.vfm.co.za